you're listening to The Gathering Church Podcast, located in Asheville, North Carolina. The Gathering is a place where you can belong before you believe. To find out more, visit gatherashville.org. Welcome to the Gathering Church. My name is John Mark Redwine, and I'm the lead pastor, and it is such a great day to be together. I'm so grateful that you guys walked across that construction zone to get in here with us this morning. We're just glad to have you. If it's your first time here, uh, I just want you to know that, that we're just honored that you're with us here today. I hope somebody made you feel welcome and wanted and seen here in this space today. Uh, we're just so grateful to have you. I want to introduce you to a couple more of our elders here at the Gathering Church this morning. So Brad and Stephanie, come on out. This is Brad and Stephanie Huckster. Y'all welcome them. And uh, you guys, these guys are some charter members of the Gathering Church right here. You know, Brad and Stephanie have done so much to serve our church from the very beginning. I remember uh, before we started the church, we had a 200-square-foot office space that four people worked in uh, over Westville Pub in West Asheville. We just smelled chicken wings and stale beer all day long. It was awesome. And so uh, we're sitting in there, and we got our very first piece of mail, really, for the church that wasn't just legal documents. And we opened it up, and it was a box. It was a care package from Stephanie, who had not even moved here yet, who had, was living in Charlotte and just knew this was going to be her church home before you guys ever even came here. I mean, and since then, you've just poured your life and your hearts into this church. We are so blessed to have them as elders uh, here at our church. Why don't you guys tell us a little bit about who you are? Well, good morning. This is my incredible husband, Brad. I am Stephanie. Yes. 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 So we made the decision to move from Charlotte, North Carolina to Asheville, and we started visiting churches on the weekends, and we just never found the right fit. And all of a sudden, I started seeing the word gather everywhere I went. And on Instagram, a new church plant was coming to Asheville called The Gathering. And so I started following along. And as I began to see this word gather everywhere I went, I started praying for this church. And I told a friend about it, and she said, I know them. I know Robert and April Knight. So we came up and had dinner with Robert and April before we even moved here. And this was our church. And only God can give you friends in a church before you even move to a new city. So just remember, he always goes before you. That's good. That's right. I'm not quite as eloquent as she is, but. Um, So yeah, what do we do now? We're we're both uh, on the dream team uh, in addition addition to being on the elders board. uh, Stephanie, um, she leads the prayer team, um, and you'll also see her out, for, out here at the step one table. Um, I kind of hide a little bit more in the back. Um, I run the camera most Sundays, uh, working with Matt Dunn. Um, and um, yeah, we just believe uh, very strongly in um, hospitality. We believe in um, supporting the local church, supporting people, uh, supporting church leaders, and uh, specifically just um, doing what we can with what we have right now mm-hmm. and not waiting for some, you know, magical combination of resources and time and, you know, everything to come together before we jump in and, and start being a part of things. We just believe that 
God gives you what you need to uh, support your church and support your city uh, right now with what you have. That's good. Thank you guys so much. You guys thank them so much for all that they do. I'm trying to introduce you to our elders. Last week we had Mark and Mary McClear up here uh, because I want you to see these folks and know who they are because part of what they do is care for the people of our church. They disciple you, they care for us, and they do all of that so well. I just want you to see them so you know them so that you know that when they come step into your life that they're doing it, that this is the leadership of our church stepping into your lives. And so, uh, man, we're just so grateful for all. They do so much for us and can't wait for you to to meet some more next week. Well, hey, uh, one more thing I want to share with you before we get into the message is we're just a couple weeks out from Legacy Sunday. Legacy Sunday is December 5th, and that is when we take up our year-end offering, our legacy offering. We only do one special offering all year long. We call it the legacy offering. Our goal really is to use that to be able to build a lasting legacy for the kingdom of God in our city and beyond. And honestly, our approach to it is very much that I, rather, rather than doing a lot of high pressure, high, high uh, compulsory giving initiatives. We do one per year, and my heart is just to share with you the information of what we do with that money, what, how it serves the kingdom of God, and, uh, and then just ask you to pray and to ask God what he would have you do and how he would have you be a part of it, uh, and then just be obedient to him. That, that is our approach to the legacy offering. Today, I want to tell you just for a second about some of our international uh, initiatives. That's one of our legacy lanes or what we call the areas that we give. And one of our legacy lanes is international giving. And through that, we have a couple missions partners that I'm just so excited. You know, we just really believe in taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth and being a part of the work that is going on beyond the borders of our city here as well. And uh, so there's a couple different avenues for that uh, that I'm excited to tell you about. Uh, One is in Malawi, Africa with an awesome guy named Rutherford. And he runs a ministry there that invests in the villages around the city where he lives by planting churches, building churches there. He takes people who live in the villages and trains them to be the pastors. They come and stay with him. He provides the training for them to be pastors and go and start churches. And it's just such a great ministry. It's reproducing local churches in places where they can have a deep impact in their hometowns. He does a lot more than that. He serves uh, Oh man, he does so much. It's, we're we're going to be telling you a lot about Rutherford and the work that he does because next year we're going to be taking a trip to Malawi, Africa uh, late summer to go and be a part of that and to think about how we can be a part of that more in the future. Uh, and so that is coming and I'm excited about it. So we're excited to bless him at the end of the year this year. We also have a new partnership with an organization called Inca Link. Inca Link is in South America and they do a lot of stuff from providing clean water in uh, villages outside the municipalities there. In, it's not South Africa, South America. In South America and uh, in Costa Rica specifically is where we're going to be partnered for now. And they run children's homes. They are doing uh, all kinds of good works around the city and in the villages there in Costa Rica. We'll be taking a trip to visit them 
in May of next year. And one of their representatives will be out here before then to tell you a lot more about what they do. And so we've got some awesome missions opportunities coming up next year. It is, it is our heart. Always, we also want you to know one of our partners is L'Envoie, which is an awesome school uh, in Hocanao, Guatemala. And they have a coffee farm that helps fund what they do. And the coffee you drink here every Sunday morning comes from that coffee farm run by an amazing family who is doing an incredible work there in Guatemala. And they, they are near and dear to our hearts. We love them so much. I just want you to know that all these organizations are constantly and currently being supported by your generosity. You've been giving to them for years. We have been partnered with them, uh, making it possible for them to do that work. And what we just do with this legacy offering is give them a little boost. We just help a little bit more at the end of the year. And so uh, we're just honored to be able to do that. Well, let's jump into today's message. We're in a series called Be Rich, Be Rich. We're talking about money, everybody's favorite church topic. The Bible talks about money a whole lot. It really does. It is in there from start to finish, and it is not because the Bible is after our money. It is because the Bible is after our hearts, and our money is often one of the chief competitors for our hearts. I'm not really here today to talk about best financial practices and, and uh, systems that you can use to manage your money better. If you need that, there's some great books I can refer you to, or we even have a couple financial planners that are a part of this church who you can meet with, and they can help you set a plan in motion to be a good biblical steward of your money. Instead of that, today, I want to reach into the spiritual heart of the subject of money. We're going to talk about what it really means to be rich, specifically what it means to be rich in heaven, what it means to be rich in heaven today. Jesus said that money is the root of all kinds of evil. Money is the root of all kinds of evil. He made it plain that there is a war for your heart going on between the kingdom of God and the kingdoms and principalities of this world. And more often than not, it's not this obvious choice between good and evil, some evil deed that we're going to do. It's not about whether or not we're going to become criminals and resort to a, a life of crime, whether you're going to hurt someone or not, whether you'll steal or cheat or lie or not, but more often, the war for your heart is happening on the battlefield of priority. It's happening on the battlefield of priority. So the enemy wants you to believe that you're a good person while he gets your priorities all mixed around. If you're not a follower of Jesus, he does this to keep you from realizing your need for Christ. It's a distraction and if you are a follower of Jesus, he does it to make you a less effective follower of Jesus. What you do with your money is a great example of how we wage the battlefield of priority. There is a war going on right now for your heart. The battlefield is priority, and the players are far more spiritual than you may realize. Look with me today at Luke chapter 16, verses 9 through 13. I'm getting into the King James Version today. This is a King James-only church. If you're new here, burn every other translation that you have. We don't accept it, okay? I'm just kidding. We hardly ever dip into King James because I'm not smart enough for King James, somebody. But I love the, the way that the translators use the language in King James, only in King 
King James for this passage. I think it matters and I think it's important and so we're going to dig into it. Bear with me and let's all you know, put on our frilly collars and bob our heads a little bit and get into some King James today. I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when it fails, they may receive you into an everlasting home. I'm going to explain this for a second. King James can be a little tricky, but I chose it because it's the only translation uses, that uses the term mammon, which is where I want to focus for a couple minutes today. Mammon. Mammon is in the original text. Uh, unrighteous mammon is the term that Jesus uses here to describe wealth. Mammon's a transliteration. There's not a, an English word for mammon. Mammon was what was in the Greek text, the original text of the Bible. And in King James, rather than uh, trying to understand what he meant there, they just transliterated it straight into the English version. So we see mammon there. In most other translations, it'll say, on, it'll say wealth or, or money or something like that, riches. It, it, it gives you the idea of what we were trying to communicate. But I think Jesus uses the word mammon here on purpose. I believe there was meant to be a spiritual undertone to the message he was trying to communicate when he said, make yourself a friend in unrighteous mammon. Mammon. Mammon isn't in the English language because mammon is a name. It's the name of the God of riches. Little g. The God of riches. First worshipped in ancient Babylon, Mammon was a very popular deity in Jesus' time all throughout the Middle East, even in Jewish culture. All around, they talked a lot about Mammon. They gave sacrifices to Mammon. They served Mammon, believing that Mammon would make them rich and wealthy beyond their wildest dreams. I think Jesus chose to say Mammon here instead of just saying money or saying wealth or saying riches for a purpose. I think that he didn't want us to just see the thing, money, but he wanted us to see the spirit behind the thing. Sometimes things that we treat as natural problems are really spiritual problems. And that means the things that we think are just a natural thing may have a spirit behind them that would use that natural thing for harm. I'm not going to get too deep into it today. i got a whole series planned to talk about it next year, but I believe that there is forces in this world that you cannot see that are working against you. There's an enemy. The Bible is very clear about that. He's looking around. He's prowling around like a lion, seeking who he can devour, and he is not alone. When he was cast out of heaven, the Bible tells us that he brought a third of its angels with him, and they are working against us. Now, fear not. For we have a greater power than any other power that is in this world on our side. But we cannot ignore and forget that there is a spirit, there are spirits in the spiritual realm of this world who are working against us. And I believe that some of the things that we think are naturally occurring problems like our greed and our need for money and the way we prioritize it, the way we covet it, the way that we hoard it, the way that we protect it, the way that we don't want to speak about it to people around us, the uncomfortable feeling you get when a family member or a friend says, hey, what do you make doing that new job that you make? That was like, man, what you want to know about that for? You know, that uncomfortable feeling you get when you spend money on something and people say, how much? did that cost? You're like, girl, that ain't your business. You know, listen, I believe that even though those are natural 
things, natural responses, there may be a spirit behind them with a more malevolent purpose for you that wants you to see your money in a different kind of way. This is the opening sentence to a parable and, uh, or to the explanation of a parable where Jesus has told about a shrewd manager who uses money for his own gain. And here, Jesus is explaining the parable by saying, take this thing that has an unrighteous spirit behind it, a spirit who intends to use it against you, that intends to use your money against you, to make it take a priority from your heart, to, to, to make it b- build a self-confidence in you that is false and fake. And take this thing that was got this spirit behind it and use it instead in the name of righteousness. Use it to serve people. Use it to bless people. Get its priority in the right position. And then when that money inevitably fails you, fails you by deserting you, how many of us know that money has no loyalty? When it eventually deserts you, if you have used this thing righteously to serve others, then you will have a place to turn when it is all gone. Let's keep going. Verse 10. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust true riches? If you're not careful in how you spend your money, if it's wrong, if the priority is wrong, if the things you invest in are wrong, who's going to trust you with things that actually matter? And if you've not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. Everybody serves something. No matter what you believe or what you don't believe, It doesn't matter. We all serve something, whether it's money and success, pride, fear, or mammon. You can only serve one master. And in this case, it's either God or it is the God of riches, mammon. You either submit your money to God or you submit it to the God of riches. Will your priority become the kingdom of God Or will it become the kingdom of mammon? Mammon says, take care of yourself first. Mammon says, this is mine, and what's mine is mine, and no one else can have it. Mammon says, more is always better. Mammon creates insatiable desire within your belly for the next great thing. But God has a different set of priorities in mind. What is important to him is different. The way he views it is different. If you serve mammon, you may become rich here on this earth, but you can become, you will become poor in the kingdom of heaven. Because the riches of God are not the same as the riches of mammon. And while the riches of mammon bring you only desire and lust for more, an emptiness that only grows the longer you serve him, the riches of God bring you peace 
and satisfaction, the likes of which you could never experience without him. And so I would invite you today to make the choice to serve God and not the God of riches. To serve God and not mammon. If you are ready to make that choice, then there are two questions you've got to ask. That's all I got today. Two questions you've got to ask yourself. First, what is treasure to God? What is treasure to God? Let's look at a parable of Jesus. It's just one verse. I like a nice short parable. There's only two one-verse parables in the whole Bible. This is one of them. It's an easy parable, and let's read it. It's in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. It goes like this. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Now, I've heard this parable misinterpreted many, many times by teachers, by pastors, by uh, people who are trying to understand what it means. And we misinterpret this parable for the same reason we misinterpret a lot of the Bible. And that is because our natural instinct, yours and mine, when we read the Bible is to read it and view ourselves as the main character. We think the Bible is all about me. It's about what, what did God do, to, do for me? What can God do for me? What is this about in context related to me? The Bible has to be about me because I am the one who is reading it. Just how we think. It's not really our fault. So we read the Bible with ourselves as the main character and we see the parable here and we say, how is this about me? Okay, when we do that, we think this is telling me that if I find Jesus, that that is so valuable that I need to sell as much of my things as I can and go buy him. I need to, go, I need to give away whatever I can to get a hold of him so that he can be mine. And that's what this parable must be about. That is not what the parable is about for three reasons. First, uh, because you can't find the kingdom of God. You can't find it because your entire life, it has been pursuing you. You can't find that which is seeking you, which has already found you, which knows exactly where you are and is simply waiting for you to respond. Second reason why this can't be about you is because the kingdom of God is not hidden. It has never been hidden. It has been in plain sight for 2,000 years. It is easy for you to find if you simply allow yourself to see it. It has never been hidden, and it never will be. And number three, you cannot, no matter how many of your things you sell, buy your way into heaven. It doesn't work that way. I need you to hear me say this right now before we talk about anything else in this message. You cannot buy your way into God's good graces. You cannot buy your way into the kingdom of heaven. You do not buy your way into the church. Every single follower of Je every single person who has ever lived is equal in value to God. The person who gives the most amount of money to the church and the person who is able to give the least. They are the 
Same in his eyes. You cannot buy your way in. So the idea that this passage is about, if I find Jesus, I need to give away as much as I can so that I can enter into the kingdom of heaven and have Jesus is ridiculous. Jesus has done all the work for you. He's already made it happen for you. He's already pursued you. He's already given his life for you. He's already done all of those things so that he could have a relationship with you. This this story isn't about you because you're not the main character of the Bible. The main character of the Bible is Jesus from start to finish. It is not about you. It is about him. It is about him. It is about him. This story is about Jesus. He's talking about himself in this parable. The man who goes searching is Jesus. The field is the world. The treasure is you. Jesus found you, covered in dirt, hidden amongst all your mistakes, all your pain, all your shame, all your sin, all your doubt. He found you buried in it, hidden in it, and he gave everything that he had to give, his very life, in order to spend eternity with you. That is the point of this parable, and that is what the kingdom of heaven is like. You see, to God... Treasure has nothing to do with money. In fact, in Revelation, it tells us that when you enter into the streets of heaven, that they're paved with gold. To me, that says that gold is asphalt to God. Paves the streets with it. The treasure was always you. The Bible says this over and over again. You see it in, uh, specifically in Exodus chapter 6 and Deuteronomy chapter 7. Go read your Bible and you will see over and over again that God looks at you and he sees the most valuable thing that there is. You are treasure to him. Have you heard about the car shortage? There's a car shortage right now. Did you know that? This is a brief commercial for a Toyota, okay? This is your YouTube ad. Yeah, there's a car shortage going on right now, apparently, and uh, so much so that dealers who might normally get 100 cars in inventory are only getting around 15 to 20. And in order to make up for the difference right now, you know, they're, they're having to jack up the prices so that they can survive in this season and get as much as they can out of what little they have. Dealers have been seen marking up the prices of new cars uh, by 20, 30, 40 percent. And in fact, right now, you can buy a brand new Toyota 4Runner for $75,000. $75,000. $75,000 for a Toyota 4Runner. Now listen, I love a 4Runner, right? A 4Runner is a great car. In fact, my best friend in high school, Kemp Anderson, had a green Toyota 4Runner, 1995 Toyota 4Runner, and it, when you ran it, it made like a sound, and so we called it the Green Hornet. It was awesome. We went ever. we had so many good adventures in the Green Hornet. A 4Runner is a fine car, but to me, it's not really a $75,000 car. But here's how value works. Something is as valuable as whatever a person is willing to pay for it. That's how the market works. That's what value is. I may have a, a holographic Charizard card that I got in a pack of 99 cents, 10 cards. Maybe you're thinking that card is worth uh, 11 cents. But somebody might be, be willing to pay $25 for that card. Value is worth whatever someone is willing to pay for it. That's what value is. I don't know how you value yourself. Maybe 
you were born in an environment that didn't value you much. And as you've grown, your value has stayed small. And that's how you've always viewed yourself. Maybe something's happened to you in your adult life that took your value of yourself from here all the way down to here. But your value is worth what someone is willing to pay for it. That is how value is determined. Your value has been, ter- been determined by the Son of God, by what he was willing to pay for it. And that was his entire life. He was brutally murdered, killed upon a cross, so that he could be in relationship with you for eternity. Your value is the life of the Son of God. You are treasure to him. There could be nothing in all of creation that he values the way that he values you. And your value is worth whatever someone is willing to pay for it. He gave everything. He found you, the treasure, buried in a field. And he went and gave all that he had to give so that he could possess that field. I need you to understand. Treasure to God has nothing to do with money. It's you. It's people. It's all of us. It is your neighbors. Your worth, your value was determined to be the life of Jesus. And guess what? That is also the value of your neighbor. That is also the value of the family member you're not looking forward to having dinner with on Thursday. That is the value of the family member who is not invited to dinner on Thursday. That is the value of the people who you disagree with. That is the value of the people who you love. That is the value of your coworkers. That is the value of every person you have ever met. They are treasure to God. They are souls that he desires relationship with, that he is willing to give his life for. People are the treasure. We are the treasure. And so, if I am going to serve God and not mammon and leverage my money for the kingdom of God and not for the kingdom of mammon, another question remains. What am I going to invest in? What am I going to invest in? If you know that your neighbor has the same amount of value to God that you do, if people are the treasure and not the riches of this world, then what is the thing that is most worthy of your investment? And the answer to this question is the key to breaking the hold that mammon has on your heart, the hold that money, that riches have on your hearts. Here is where you win the war that is being fought on the battlefield of priority. The battlefield of priority exists all throughout our hearts, and it's always been in competition in our hearts. But from the very beginning of the story of God, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, God has an answer for how we win that battle. It is called the principle of the first. The principle of the first. We believe in this very deeply here at this church. My family believes in this very, very deeply. And it is this, 
God gets the first of everything from me. He gets the first of everything from me. He gets the first part of my week on Sunday morning. It's his. I serve him. I use it to serve his church, to serve his people, to build up treasure in the kingdom of God, that there might be some, by, some more treasure, a little bit more every week. I give them the first part of my week on Sunday morning. It is the principle of the first the principle of the first. I give him the first part of every year. We do a fast in prayer. It's coming up soon, actually, in January. Beginning January 2nd, we do 21 days of fasting and prayer. And I fast and I pray for 21 days at the beginning of the year to say, God, this year is yours. You are my priority. I give it to you, and I want to invest not in the physical kingdom, but in the kingdom of God first and foremost as we begin this year. That's the principle of the first. And it also is the principle of the first means God wants the first fruits of our labor. He says it in Genesis. It is written into the law in Leviticus. It is carried into the New Testament by Jesus and then again by Paul. And it is repeated all the way through the end of the story. I'm sharing you, I'm going to share with you something that I believe has blessed me and my family. I had so much issue with money, trouble with money, didn't really understand what money was supposed to, how it was supposed to work. I, you guys, I was a real mess when I married my wife. Poor girl just came into a lot of debt and tragedy financially. And so I remember when we were sitting down to create our first budget, and we were 23 years old when we got married, you guys. Oh my gosh. I meet a 23-year-old now, and I'm like, you shouldn't be deciding what color shirt to wear. But we were 23 years old when we got married. I'd never made a budget before. And I remember sitting down to create a budget with my wife for the first time. And she said, John Mark, the very first part of the budget is the tithe. And I said, girl, you have seen how much money I make. It is not a lot. It is, I don't, I can't give 10%. I can't do it. And she said, John Mark, it's not about it's not about whether or not you have the money to give. It's about prioritizing where it goes. The first part of our money, the first part of our budget goes to him. We've done that from the very beginning of our marriage and on throughout. It has gone that way. Deuteronomy 14.23 says, the purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first in your lives. It's how we battle the battlefield of priority. When we give first, it corrects our priority. Jesus is sitting down to dinner with his disciples. And they're arguing, and it's the end of his ministry here. okay it's okay let me back up 1st Timothy chapter 6 as Timothy is getting a letter from his pastor Paul about how to talk about this kind of stuff 
um, in verse 18, Paul says this, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. And in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so they may take hold of the life that is truly life. The coming age is in this isn't it. There is more to this life than this life. There is more coming. And when we follow this idea of the principle of the first, when we get our priorities in order in our hearts and when we sow it into the church, we're not giving just to make physical needs be met. We're giving to meet spiritual needs. Because there is more to this life than this life. We as a church, we give to meet a lot of physical needs. We believe in that. We think it's so important. We think it's part of who we as followers of Jesus are called to be here on this earth. So we do it. We care about it. But we don't think it's the most important thing we do. We think that the very most important thing that we do is meet the spiritual needs of people. It's help connect this moment in time with the eternity that we're gonna spend. It's to help hearts connect with the one who has been pursuing them from the moment they were created. To help people connect with the one who has given all that he is to be in relationship with them because they are the treasure to him. We meet spiritual needs as a church. I have people who've asked me, okay, I get the principle of the first and I get, I get the need to give and to, and to serve people with my money. I see that that's in scripture and I understand it. And I don't, I'm, I'm wondering why though, why the church? Why do we give it into the church? And I wanna answer that for you real briefly. That is because by myself, I can use my money to make a difference. I can. I can bless somebody. I can give to somebody. I think you should do that. We still do that. My family does that. But when I sow into a community of people who are like-minded, who have the same vision, who are building up treasure in the kingdom of heaven, together we are able to create a far greater impact. Together our resources are able to reach in a way that on my own I never could. It is the same way and the same reason I invest my talents into the church because alone I could make a difference, but together we can make an impact. We can change a city. We can change a culture. We can change the future of families and communities and neighbors and family members all around us when we come together. And that is what it is all about. That is where that principle lies. It teaches us to think in an eternal mindset. Mindset. Thinking in an eternal mindset means when we do good and give generously, we need to do it in a way that just doesn't meet physical needs, but also meets spiritual needs. So, if treasure in the kingdom of heaven is people, what are you going to invest in? The things of this world that fade away or the eternities of the people in our city that we have been called to reach. And we talk about tithing. We believe the Bible teaches that specific, that 10%. But 10% is a big place to start. I want you to hear me say this first off. If it's your first time, if this isn't your family, this is a principle I think you need to learn and understand. I don't think it's something you have to do today. I'm not, we're not gonna be waiting for you with a bucket at the door. I'm not gonna be standing there with, a, with my hat out saying, hey, come on guys, didn't you hear them? It's, that's not what our goal is. Our goal is to teach you a principle that I really believe will change your life. If this is your home and you wanna be a part of what's happening here, 
And you want to start to sow into the kingdom of heaven and to invest in the thing that is treasure to God. And starting at 10% is intimidating and terrifying. I would encourage you not to try to just jump straight to 10%. I'd encourage you to take a step up what we call the giving ladder. This is a ladder. Just think of it like a ladder. And so maybe you're, you're in the area where you've never given sacrifice in any way before. I would encourage you to take the step to just begin somewhere small. Just start giving in some way. If you're at the place where you occasionally give, I would encourage you to become a, a regular giver. It doesn't have to be a lot. Just make it a routine part of your, your budget. If you're a regular giver, consider becoming a proportion giver. Find a percentage and make it regular. And then if you're giving in a percentage and it's not 10%, incrementally start to take it up to what I believe the Bible calls for. It's a, it's a ladder. I think there's a lot of grace in it. I just believe that when we begin to invest in the kingdom of God, that we start to build the treasure that actually matters. It puts our hearts in the right position. It helps us to get the priorities in the right place. We begin to see people and we begin to see his kingdom and we begin to see his church for the value that it should have in our hearts and our lives begin to move forward in the right direction. Becoming rich and the kingdom of heaven is simple. Use what God has given you to serve others and to show them the good news of Jesus. And when you do that, that's how you build real treasure. Don't serve your money. Make your money serve God. If you're in here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I want you to know that you're the treasure buried in the field today that he's given up everything that he could to go and find you, to pursue you, to be in relationship with you, that he, he is not distracted by your past, he is not distracted by your present or your perceived future, that there is nothing you have done that he cannot wipe away. He wants you so desperately that he gave his life for you. If you're ready to be in relationship with him today, every head bowed, every eye closed, would you just say this prayer with me? Heavenly Father, I give my life to you, Lord. Forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for my mistakes. Forgive me for trying to do it on my own for so long. I need you. I believe that you've given everything for me. And so all that I am from this day forward, I give to you. I am yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The Gathering Church Podcast is produced by the Gathering Church Creative Team. Want to get involved? Fill out a Connect card online at gatherashville.org. Find us on Facebook at The Gathering Church or on Instagram at Gather Asheville.